0: Abraham was willing to give up everything he knew as familiar and follow God's leading to a land he didn't know where it was going and did so because a son had been promised to him. This test is God asking Abraham, am I first in your life?
1: Are you putting God first in your life? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. That was the test God presented to Abraham and Sarah before giving them their son Isaac. Today, David takes us to the 22nd chapter of Genesis as we begin a brand new series we're calling Provision. David calls this first message availability.
0: We begin today a new series called Provision. It's a four-part series. We're going to look at a text, Genesis 22, Verses 1 through 14, a rather difficult text, but hopefully it'll be understandable to you after I have finished explaining it and we lift up Christ in the process. Let me begin by asking this question. How many of you, when you were in school, enjoyed tests? Now, for the few of you who raised your hands, you deranged crazy people. I never did. Uh, Let me ask another question. How many of you enjoyed pop tests? Pop tests. Oh, now nobody raised their hands on that one because how uh, heart-stopping it was to walk into a classroom and have the professor say, today we're going to have a pop test. And you're sitting there going, oh no, I not only didn't study, I wasn't expecting this whatsoever. God gave Abraham in the verses we're about to look at a pop test the reason he asked him to do the sacrifice with Isaac was a pop test that you'll see in just a moment in verse 1. And here's why this is so interesting. This call that God gave Abraham to sacrifice Isaac goes back to Genesis 12, Verses 1 through 3, and the original call that God gave to Abraham, listen to these words. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing." I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God called Abram to leave Ur of the Chaldees, the city in which he lived, all of his family, all of his property, everything, and go to a place he was going to show him. And Abraham gladly did it for one reason. Abraham was later on in age, his wife was later on in age, God promised him a son. And through this son, all of the nations on the earth would be blessed. There would be more people blessed through this sun than the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. So again, Abraham was willing to give up everything he knew as familiar and follow God's leading to a land he didn't know where it was going and did so because a son had been promised to him. Now, Now keep that in mind as God gives Abraham this test In Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, after these things, God tested Abraham. There it is, verse 1. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. and come again to you." Keep that in mind, that's very important. And come again to you. "'And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering "'and laid it on Isaac his son. "'And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, "'so they were both of them together. "'And Isaac said to his father, "'Abraham, my father,' and he said, "'Here I am, my son.' "'He said, "'Behold the fire and the wood, "'but where is the lamb for a burnt offering?' The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. You see, God had told Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees his home because I'll give you a son. And Abraham was willing to do that. Now, now what you may not know is that Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. And I've often told people, biblically, you really haven't waited very long until you wait 25 years. But the son had been promised. And Abraham knew that. In fact, when the child was finally conceived, when Abraham was around 100 and Sarah was around 90, they named him Isaac out of their first response in knowing the child was coming. The name Isaac means laughter. How would you like to have named your kid after the first time you knew that your kid was on the way? We'd have kids named like, oh no, Jones, or are you kidding me, Smith, you know? Isaac was named laughter because Sarah and Abraham laughed a, a laugh of joy and, and incredulity Isaac but he was the promised one through him all the nations would be born uh, be blessed excuse me and through him the birth of the Messiah who would then bless all the nations of the earth would come Isaac child of promise child of blessing so, so what's going on here with this test Here's the answer. This test is God asking Abraham this basic question Am I first in your life? Am I first in your life? Because what had happened was this child of promise that Abraham had waited so long for had become the central object of Abraham's affection. It's easy to have happen, isn't it, parents? Those kids you just love so much become the central focal point of your life. And if you don't believe it can happen and happen easily, just go to any ball field on a Saturday afternoon here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and watch the dads and the moms too live through their kids vicariously. Dads yelling and screaming at their sons to perform better. What a terrible burden to place on the heart of a young child that my dad or mom's happiness, their emotional security, is dependent upon my performance. And yet, it's done on ball fields all over the country. Abraham had done it with Isaac. Instead of God being primary, Isaac had become primary. So God asked Abraham to do something that becomes a test. Abraham. Is Isaac the most important thing in your life, or am I what's most important in your life? Isaac had become an idol, the object of Abraham's affection. Now, some of you at this point go, now, now, wait a minute. This is one of the reasons I don't believe in the Bible. God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his son for him. What's going on with that? Good question. And in order to understand the answer, you need to understand the differences between Abraham's culture, not only surrounding him, but what he believed in. It was a family-centered culture that still exists in the Mideast today, where in America, in the West, we have an individualistic-centered culture, So even today, you have, for example, in our individually-driven society, us looking at a Mideastern culture and asking, how in the world can you ever support honor killing? That if one of your children leaves your family and becomes a part of another religion, you will kill your child. That's crazy. That's horrific. That's awful. And we say that birthed from our individualistic American society. Now, from the Mideastern society, though, where family is central, where keeping the family together and the common religious belief central is central, they look at our Western American individualistic mindset where families are broken apart by the hundreds every year. They look at men leaving their wives to go find trophy brides and sometimes the wives doing it themselves and children suffering in that process, they look at the breakdown of the family from their family-centric focus and they say, what are you doing? That's horrific. That's awful. That's terrible. It depends on how you look at it, which determines your perspective. In Abraham's culture, he lived in a family-centric society which practiced the law of primogenitor. What does that mean? It's the law of the firstborn son. The firstborn son had primacy in a family. At this point, Ishmael's gone. It's only Isaac, Abraham's only son. He is the primogenitor firstborn son. And in Abraham's day, the firstborn son got most of the inheritance. In our day, we divide up the inheritance from child to child to child. But in Abraham's day, the firstborn son got most of it. Why? Because in years to come, that allowed the firstborn to have most of the land and keep power, prestige, and possessions in one person's care. Also, it assured that the family name would continue. Moreover, as that understanding of primogeniture seeped into the Israelite culture, you saw that the firstborn not only got most of the inheritance, the parable of the prodigal son, for example, but also first fruits of everything were given to God. The first of anything was what's most important. So the first fruits of all possessions, the first fruits of the crops, the first fruits of the cattle all went to the temple in order to support the priests as a worship to God. First fruits off the top, a way of the Jewish people saying, you're first God in our lives, you get the first fruit. The firstborn son was extremely important in the pagan cultures surrounding Abraham as being a way of assuaging a sense of guilt in the hearts of the parents and the family. So if dad feels this natural sense of guilt and shame that all of us feel for disappointing God, we do, don't we? I mean, when we make a mistake, what do we say? Hey, I'm only what? I'm only human with that phrase we're admitting. We fall short of what God intends. We say, for example, to err is human, to forgive is divine. We admit we err as humans. There's a deep sense of guilt and shame in all of us that knows we have displeased Almighty God. The cultures surrounding Abraham to deal with that great sense of guilt regularly practiced the primogenitor sacrifice of the firstborn son to forgive them of their guilt, a blood sacrifice, not only to forgive them, but then to assuage the anger of the holy gods around them so they could still be blessed, especially with their crops. So there was a regular practice of the sacrifice of the firstborn sons around Abraham. Now, Abraham wasn't willing to be a part of that. But when God said to him, you go do it, it wouldn't have been foreign to him. He wouldn't have said, no, I'm not going to do that. Because he knew that was a part of the culture that surrounded him. In fact, when God took the Israelites out of Egypt... What was the last plague that God did to the Egyptians to finally pry Pharaoh's fingers and let the people go? What was it? The killing of the firstborn son. The law of primogeniture. So Abraham, if God had said, go offer Sarah as a sacrifice, he'd have said, what? That's crazy. Offer my wife. When God says, go offer your firstborn son, your only son, whom you love, Abraham's heart would have gone But he would have said, I get it because you need in your holiness to have me offer him for the forgiveness of my sins. So he marches in the three set drama of these verses. First of all, with the test. He marches three days from his home in Beersheba to the place where modern-day Jerusalem is. It's about a 45-mile walk. It would have taken three days. What's the deal with three days in the Bible? Ever thought about that? As Jonah stayed in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, then was vomited on the shore. As Jesus stayed in the earth three days and three nights until he was raised from the dead. Here we have another three-day trip, and on the third day, God does something remarkable. And what's interesting as you, you look at this and this understanding of what God might do, you have with the test, God looking at Abraham's heart, wanting Abraham to come to grips with his son as being the object of his affections. And then you have not only the test, but the test of faith in verses five through eight. Abraham is now at the base of Mount Moriah where God showed him he was to sacrifice this son. Interestingly, Mount Moriah is a set of mountain ranges where Jerusalem was built. Mount Moriah today is where the temple was built. The Temple of Solomon was built on the top of Mount Moriah. And the hill that's right next to Mount Moriah is another mountain called Calvary. It's the place where Jesus was crucified. God told Abraham, though, to go to Mount Moriah, the place where the temple is built, and to take his son up there. But what's so fascinating as the test of faith comes to bear here is verse five Abraham said to his young men, he took two servants with him along with Isaac, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. We're going to go on top of the mountain. Our major responsibility is to worship because I want God to know he is first in my life. And if he continues to ask me to sacrifice my son in the primedial law of progeniture, here's what I believe, and come again to you. You could easily add the first person plural, we. We will come again to you. Here's what Abraham believed. Isaac was the child of promise. Isaac was the one that God, you promised me, not Ishmael, through whom all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. This child, and I believe with all my heart, I don't know how you're gonna do it. I don't know how you're going to bring together your holiness for my sin that needs to be satisfied but also your love which wants to forgive me. I don't know how you're going to do that on that altar, but if that knife does plunge into Isaac and he dies, I believe you will somehow raise him from the dead. We will come back to you. The author of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 verses 17 through 19 believed this too when he wrote these words looking at Abraham amidst all the other great saints of faith. In the Old Testament, he says this about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was, what, tested, offered up Isaac And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham, when he marched up Mount Moriah with Isaac said to his servants, we will be back because he believed this was the child of promise.
1: This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Who and whose are you? Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about what it really means to be a child of God. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church.
1: I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us today.
0: Hi, Jen. It's great being with you as well.
1: Well, you called this morning's e-devotion, Remember Who and Whose You Are.
0: A great message that my dad would say to me repeatedly, over and over and over again, especially as I went out during the evening on some adventure with my friends or if I could get a date, which didn't happen very often in <laughs> high school especially, but Dad would always say to me as I walked out the door, "Son." remember who and whose you are. And what he was trying to say there is two things. First of all, remember the fact that your last name is Chadwick. And when you go out on the town, no matter where you are, you represent that name. You represent me, dad would say, your mom, your family. Just always remember that whatever you do, there are consequences upon our name in this community. So always remember who you are. You You are a Chadwick whether you like it or not, you represent me, you represent mom, you represent our family out there with whatever you do. And then secondly, he would say, remember whose you are. And that would remind me that I belong to Jesus, that really I'm in the family of Chadwick for sure, but I'm also in the family of God. And that I bear the name of Jesus on my chest. And when I'm out there, I am representing him as well. So dad was trying to remind me that whatever choices I make there are consequences that will reflect upon Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my Father in heaven. So he was just trying to remind me that I have a personal responsibility to my family name. I have a greater eternal responsibility to God's name. And those two things constantly reminded me when I was out to make wise choices, to make good decisions, because I'm not only representing my life, I'm representing the lives of many other people, but especially my Father in heaven who has revealed himself to me through Jesus Christ, my Lord.
1: I really like this, and I'm not sure if it's in the official dad handbook, but my dad used to tell me this as well. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. Yes, and I really liked it because it did. It held me to a standard, and we all need a standard, and it's not um, without reach. You know, We can reach that, and when we're called higher, we will respond higher.
0: I, I believe that, Jen, and I also believe that our identity and understanding who we truly are in Christ will overcome any problem we'll ever face in life. Jesus said it this way in John 8, you're no longer a servant, you're a son. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, in Roman days... When a father didn't like his own son's behavior too much, he would always be on the lookout for a servant that he would bring into his family. And then over time, even though that son would have by birthright a natural inheritance given to him, The father could at any point adopt officially that servant into his family, and that servant becoming a new son would suddenly have the name of the father and then be made an heir Mm -hmm. of everything the father owns. So Jesus was trying to say there are two identities out there. You either see yourself as a servant under the bondage of God, always trying to please him, fearing punishment if you mess up, or you can see yourself as an adopted son or daughter Mm -hmm. in the family of God with a new name, with a new identity being an heir of everything the Father owns. And when you realize that's how much the Father in heaven loves you, you'll respond accordingly. You'll want to live in a way that always pleases him. This
1: is awesome. Such a good word today. Thank you, David.
0: And everyone, if you'd like to receive these daily written moments of hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They're free of charge. They'll arrive every morning in your inbox at 7 a.m. A gift from my heart to yours
1: this has been moments of hope with david chadwick senior pastor of moments of hope church we would love to have you join us for worship this sunday morning we meet at providence day school located at 5800 sardis road in south charlotte at 10 a.m you can find more information on our website momentsofhopechurch.org Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the leadership of our country.